She'd start speaking to background people in the room. She's like, I've had sex with him. He was great in bed. He was great in bed. You know, or <laughs> just like make everyone crack up. It was just priceless. You're listening to Skip Intro with me, Krista Smith. When Naomi Watts was in her early 30s, she received a life-changing call. Director David Lynch wanted to meet her. It was a break that Watts had been working towards for a long time. Naomi was born in Shoreham, England, to two artistic parents. Her mother was an antiques dealer and costume and set designer, and her father was a sound engineer for the band Pink Floyd. After her father unexpectedly passed away when she was just seven years old, Watts moved around England with her mother and brother before settling in Australia. It was during this time that she began to take acting classes, which led to her first few roles in film and TV, one of which, the coming-of-age comedy, Flirting, introduced her to Nicole Kidman, who would become a lifelong friend. In the hopes of finding better opportunities in Hollywood, Watts made the decision to move to L.A. and spent 10 years auditioning for an endless stream of roles. When she finally met with David Lynch, it was the first time she felt truly seen by a director. Lynch recognized Watts's talent and cast her in his 2001 masterpiece, Mulholland Drive. Her performance finally earned the world's attention, leading to starring roles in films like The Ring, 21 Grams, which earned her an Oscar nomination for Best Actress, and Peter Jackson's King Kong. Since then, Watts has become one of the most beloved and prominent actresses in Hollywood often taking on roles that lean into dark themes or subject matter. She's fearless as an actress. I'm going to be talking to Naomi today about her new series, The Watcher. It's the latest from creator Ryan Murphy. I'm in London for the London Film Festival, so I've been here for a week now. But it's been super busy, but it's been great. But it's the longest I've been away from the kids. But they're now teenagers. As you know, we're pretty close in age, so you've got two at home as well. Yeah, yeah. They're not really that interested in me, yeah. No, 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 they're, they're good. They're good. They're like, Mom, no, leave me alone. That, that's how it's supposed to go. But anyway, all right, well, we're here to talk about The Watcher and a lot else because I'm just happy to see you, honestly. I'll take this for IRL, as the kids say. I feel like I only get to see you on Instagram. Like, that's how we see each other now, right? I know, crazy, crazy. It's just the world. But you have been working so much lately. It's fantastic. And this is a great series based on the New York Magazine article. And it's with Bobby Cannavale. Obviously, you play a married couple. You buy this house. It's the dream house. What I loved about it, it's like everyone talks about when you when you live in New York, and I used to live in New York, about like, oh, if we only had a house, but what are we giving up? But oh, it's so amazing, but I'm an artist. All of that dialogue, I loved how real all of those conversations were. But for you, were, how familiar were you with the story when you got the script? I had not followed it like everyone else. I don't know, which is weird because I know how obsessively people were tracking it. I must have been living under a rock or something at the time. The story, it, it came to me first. My manager set it up. He said, there's this, uh, you're getting a call from Ryan Murphy. And first of all, right away, I went, yes, and? <laughs> um, and, um, you know, that's a, that's a good day when that call is coming. And then he said, and it's about this article that took place. So it's a true story about a family who moves out to the suburbs and, you know, gave me the, the short little 
run of what it what it was. And so I said, okay, well, let me read the article. He sends me the article, which is a really long and juicy, compelling article, which I devoured. It just imagined myself instantly in that story and figured that everybody else did too. And then Ryan called and he said, you know, this is how it's going to go. And you can, you know, shoot in New York because... You know, he knows I've got kids in school here, and and I said, no, no, Ryan, I'm doing this project. If you if you're saying yes, this is I'm I I'm yes for sure. Yeah, it just really sparked it off as a as a good way to enter into this. And then he said, you've done so well in this genre, and I went, thank you. I think it's time for me to get back in this genre too. It's been a moment. I've really enjoyed not only playing in this genre. But also, I've always enjoyed it as an audience member. So it was a slam dunk right away for me. How was it to get the phone call? And then what was it like actually working with him, you know, when you arrived to set? Because I know he directed certainly the first episode and another one and stuff. So what was that like to actually work with him? Yeah, I mean, Ryan just knows how to tap into this genre like nobody he knows popular culture like he's a master. You know, he, he didn't say too much. The story was there, but obviously creative license was taken. We didn't get in touch with the real people or anything. We just immersed ourselves in in the text. And, you know, and that we didn't have it all spelt out for us. It was, you know, a few scripts at a time and then a couple more came in, and which was kind of a good way to work once you understood what the rules were because it was playing out in real time. And we were like, wait, is it you? Is it you? We're all having those moments of shifting going, wait, this is a great friendship. We like each other as characters. And then you'd be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is it so you'd be wanting to sort of try and piece it together with your fellow cast members as it was going along. Let's talk about the genre, because this is something that I'm very familiar, obviously, with your career. And I, you know, I always watch what you're doing. I love your choices that you've made and and continue to make. And I really remember after it was Mulholland Drive was a giant moment, obviously. But then it was The Ring, that first ring that got like a hundred million crazy box office. And suddenly it just propelled you into this stardom, right? And it was this kind of genre. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like to tap back into this with this series? Yeah, I mean, as I said, the genre, I'm fascinated by fear. We all have it um, in different ways. How it plays out is always unique, but we all share it. And some of us more than others. I guess I'm one of those people and somehow it has to get processed and through my work, I think I think that's a healthy place to examine it. Those two films happening together almost was really meaningful in my career and you know cuz as you also know I went very much under the radar for a good 10 years before David Lynch cast me in Mulholland Drive and then gave me the part of what I consider the century. Some people don't get that in a whole career. And I felt like it was just such a gift to play these two characters. Well, it was really one, but, you know, alter ego. Everyone obviously sees David Lynch's films. Also, the critics really loved it. It just kind of really put me on the map. And all the directors that saw the film started calling. And this was just so different for me. It's not how things had gone before. I was literally banging doors down saying, please let me read for your thing. And, you know, barely getting eye contact from the casting director or if I got to meet the director at all. And 
you know, so it was really a, a, a difficult time. So to have that suddenly change overnight and then be offered a film like The Ring, which was, you know, such a commercial success that really solidified my time as as being like, oh, she's, she's got a career now. You know, I, I never knew that would happen. I'm so lucky that the two things came at once because I got the critics and that box office success. And I almost didn't do that movie, by the way. I almost thought, I don't know if this is the right follow-up movie. Not to say that I didn't want to do that piece of material, but like, is it the right next thing for me to do? Having gained those nice notices from critics, like, does this seem like a a sellout movie, like to go into some commercial movie. I saw the Japanese version. It was great. And I knew DreamWorks was a great place. And I knew Gore Verbinski was a great director. But you never know when a movie's going to work or not. And I did have lots of other options at that time, suddenly. So I really wrestled a little. And my agent just said, you need to do this movie. He literally looked at me in the eye and said, you're doing it. And I went, Oh, okay. I better. He knows. He knows more than me, and he did. Obviously, that's funny that you say that because Naomi, I probably would have said, had you asked me, and thank God you didn't, I would have said, you can't do that. You're brilliant. I mean, and I will say to all our listeners, if you have not at this point seen Mulholland Drive, you have to watch it. That audition scene within the movie. That, to me, was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest actress like I've ever seen. Where has she been? I remember, like it was yesterday, it was like that audition scene within the movie. And to think about that was originally a series, and then it was shelved for two years. It had such the life of a typical Hollywood story of, like... <laughs> that, that was the thing. I was like... Oh, yeah, it was going to be a a pilot on ABC, and then they didn't pick it up, and then it sat around for two years collecting dust on the shelf, whatever, I don't know. And I just thought, oh, there's my luck again. No one's ever going to see that, the one project that David Lynch makes. It's going to go unseen. And then two years later, I get a call saying the French producers want to, you know, fire it up again. He's, He's got some ideas and how to make it a feature film. And I was like, oh, my gosh, yes. And I've kept the costume. It's 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 going to be great. And then, of course, I went to David's house, and that's when he told me about the last 20 minutes of the movie, or maybe it was 40 minutes. I can't remember. I remember seeing that, and I remember at the time putting you... We had one more slot on the Hollywood cover, on the Vanity Fair Hollywood cover, and I remember you getting that, me pushing for you to get that, get that slot. And the rest is history, as they say in Hollywood. It was amazing. Had I done The Ring then, or no? No, it was just... It was... That was out because we shot in the fall and you were going to do the ring or maybe you had shot it but it had not come out yet. I remember I flew back in for the weekend. I think I think I was in Oregon or something shooting and I flew in for the weekend. Because you broke later in life, like you weren't a, a 21 years old when suddenly all of this happened, do you think that you've been able to navigate this business in a different way? Like do you ever think about if, if you would have, you know, popped off of one of those early projects of yours versus what? what the trajectory of your career was? No, I've often thought about that. Yeah, I was I was like 31 when when things started changing with Mulholland Drive. I came to Hollywood like in my early to mid 20s and I, I didn't have a lot of self-awareness. I certainly didn't have any confidence and you know, I I had some things to learn, I think. And I would have definitely got talked into doing absolutely the wrong things. So it was good that I got around and about, got, you know, 
calloused up and 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 I got to know myself, I think. And then I was able to um, make better choices as a as a more grown adult, I think. It is kind of amazing because I imagine those feelings at that time must have felt it must have been very frustrating. And now when I think of you, I'm like, you've had one of the greatest careers, like two Oscar nominated, the directors you've worked with, the way you're thought of in this industry, respected by your peers. But I imagine that journey wasn't always I wanted easy. to quit so many times. I thought about throwing the towel in and just going back to Australia, but I didn't have anything else I knew how to do. And so I just had to keep going. And I, I do have a certain sense of resilience um, that, you know, I, I'm glad I had it. You know, I, I came with naivety and I came away from it with resilience, I suppose. But, um, you know, it all makes sense now. And I, it is a good story for younger people to, to, to hook onto because there is a lot of um, time spent going under the radar for a lot of people who are extremely talented. Um, so they should hang in there if this is their dream. And I always say that. Um, I hope this story inspires others because, you know, if, if you know what you love and, and you get to do it, even just little bits here and there, then, then hang, hang in there and just keep trying, you know, because one mm-hmm. thing can change everything. It doesn't. It's just it, I was reading in one of the articles about how you would reminisce about when, when you were starting that someone said, oh, you got to get everything in before you're 40, because then after that, an actress like falls off a cliff. Right. Or is not fuckable or whatever we want to say that we've all heard a million times. Right. In this business. And I looked I was like, God, oh, that's so interesting. I looked at your IMDb page and there's 92 credits. And I was like, OK, let me do the math on this. And I think about the work that you've done past 40 has been incredible. And also the the kind of next chapter of your life, obviously as a mom is giant, but also as this kind of like entrepreneur in the female space has been pretty amazing too. You've got like the the a beauty company and then you're also doing stripes, which I think is really incredible. Yeah, that was sort of like born out of a personal story because I entered into menopause earlier than I was ready for and and no real sense of community or education and you know so I I just didn't want anyone else to have to walk through that alone again I felt a lot of shame a lot of confusion and I just felt like it was a stigmatized conversation that needed to be broken down and during the pandemic as we sort of all sat around at home with our ideas that's when it started to become clear to me that something needed to be done. I was already in the beauty space, as you just said, being a co-founder of Onda Beauty. And I just connected the dots like, yeah, there's lots of brilliant brands out there. But who is actually speaking to women who are going through this? By the way, it's half the population and we're like 50 million strong as is. So like, why aren't women feeling that kind of representation in at this point in their life and why does it have this branding as being nothing but doom and gloom it should be a more vibrant time and a way to come together and and move through it with um holding their heads high you know and so that's when it occurred to me and you know we're about a week away from launching with products available and so i'm excited to share that 
That's super exciting. And you've always been someone to me that's had such a strong female tribe around you, whether it's your grandmother, your mom, your friends that you've had since you were a teenager. I'll never forget one of my favorite people on this planet is Rebecca Rigg. And I met her several times through you and and through Nicole a bit. And I never, I haven't seen her probably in 20 years, but she still made such an impact on me on what a solid human being. And I think I talked to her for your story that I wrote for Vanity Fair and other times I would see her around. But you've, like, to me, you've always had those friends and so loyal and you're still friends and you just like have taken that with you throughout your career. Thank you. And yeah, I really pride myself on, you know, the people I surround myself with. I really choose my friends carefully and they really bolster me at all moments. And, and I hope I do the same for them. It's such an important thing to have great women in your life. I I could not imagine a life without them. Again, you touch on something really important. We find those friendships come together at nearly every pain point that we go through. We need to share. We need to hear that we're not alone at whatever those moments are. And then yet we left each other alone for the bookend of what is adult puberty, because some code of silence was agreed upon, weirdly. And that's why, again, I wanted to have a community of women come together and say, hey, this shouldn't be taboo. This is actually okay. It's normal. Everyone's coming to this point at some time or another. And and for those that aren't, they should learn a little too, because you might be sharing a household with someone who's going through it, or, you know, you know someone at work, or, you know, there just needs to be more empathy. So, yeah, female friendships have always inspired me. Yeah, I've, I've um, always been a little mouthy, and I remember... I just say it like it is. And when I had kids, I would just like tell a lot of friends that were younger than I am like, oh, no, this is going to happen. And that's going to happen. And when you have kids, I just they're like, are you sure you want to say it? I'm like, believe me, you'd rather know the truth. All right. Well, let's get back to The Watcher first for a bit. So you're, you get to work in New York. You get to work with Ryan Murphy and his great crew that he established and, and a great cast, obviously. Jennifer Coolidge. Fantastic. Feels like always a good day when you get to do a scene with her, right, or, or, or get to work with her. Bobby Cannavale obviously goes without saying. But when you arrive to that set, like, what's your favorite part of the day when you're working? I mean, it's such an incredible cast. And so every day was a delight. A lot of my scenes talking about uh, female friendships, again, Jennifer Coolidge, when that name got mentioned, because I just finished watching White Lotus, I was like, oh, yes, that's amazing. She's a legend. And I'd known her work, you know, from before, but then just finally seeing her in this role, getting her to do, you know, this incredible character, she just ate it all up. And I was so excited. And then doing these scenes with her, these long scenes of, you know, rediscovering a friendship, but the weirdness and who is this person? Is she my friend? Is she you know, playing a number on me, like what is happening? And as I said before, like we didn't know all of the, how the story was going to play out. And so, you know, you're always like looking, you got to play a few different looks because you don't know where this is going to go. So yeah, the mystery and, and, and then, and sharing conversations with the cast on a day-to-day basis of like, who do you think it is? Do you think it's her? Do you think it's him? It was fun because we were all guessing in real time. Bobby Carnavali, I'd worked with once before. He's fantastic. He's, 
He, he's just like a real dude. He and Billy are, are great friends. That's Billy Crudup, Naomi's partner, for our listeners who don't know. We were like brother and sister. We took to each other really well. And Mia Farrow and Margot Martindale and Noma, you know, like everyone, every day, just these great experiences. I'll never forget, actually, a day that we shot over at Margot's house and we had tea. It was super creepy with Mia and Margot and we're just sipping tea and, you know, things have gone really to a next level of, of scary and twistedness and, and I'm looking at both of them wondering what the hell is going on. So it was super scary and weird in the playing and then we'd break and then we'd just be like you know like chit-chatting away telling stories old legendary stories which I won't repeat but like it was just one of those fantastic days with two iconic women I was so excited when I saw Margot Martindale. She is one of my favorite character actors. And when the camera pans just in the opening and you see who's going to be in this series, it was just too delicious. And Jennifer Coolidge is someone that I love seeing. I mean, speaking about people that have had careers that are decades long, she's just like always showed up. And I love that now at this point in her career, she's probably the most sought after. We can't get enough of her. And the Gen Zers and Xers or whatever they all are now, I guess we're Gen Xers, so forget about us. old. But the the Gen Ys and all of that, everyone is obsessed with Jennifer Coolidge. It's fantastic. It's so wonderful to watch her get this moment. And she's so brilliant. And and it was so earned. And you just couldn't wish it for a, a better person. She's so kind. You know, working with her, obviously, you'd get what was on the script, but then she would just riff and just go here and go there. She'd start speaking to background people in the room. You know, she's like, I've had sex with him. He was great in bed. He was great in bed. You know, or, you know, (laughs) just like make everyone crack up or wildly uncomfortable in the right way that worked for the scene. It was just priceless. Every moment being with her is, I mean, the hardest thing about working with her was just staying straight-faced and focused because she just like she just sets off little fantastic moments of buckets of gold everywhere would you do improv with her in the scene yes yes you would have to and sometimes you know we went way off the wall and you know used outrageous profanity um and I think that was probably not used but it was fun it was just fun Well, one of the little secrets about Naomi that not everybody knows, because she's, you know, you're gorgeous, glamorous, can wear a red carpet dress like nobody else, but you are incredibly athletic. You could have had a, a career as a professional athlete, and I love that I got a little tennis and a tennis skirt. It made me happy, <laughs> just selfishly. I do love a game of tennis. I, I used to play all the time, but yeah. You don't get to play in New York? No, it's not as easy. That's an L.A. thing that it's much more accessible. It's too much hard work here. And I wasn't We'd love to have you back in L.A. I'd love to have you back in L.A. I know. I keep thinking one day. One day. Maybe when the kids are grown up. My son's dream is to go to um, Berkeley, so... Maybe I have to move back, just be close. Yeah, that we might both have sons at Berkeley. That would be really exciting. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't that be great? All right. So what do you look for 
next for you when you're reading things and and deciding what to do and what to spend your time with and who to spend your time with, you know, on a set, which I know is 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 a giant part of the job. Absolutely key, especially at my age. You you want to know that the people are good. I mean, definitely decisions have been made or factored in heavily now because of being you know, a mother to small kids and school schedules and everything. I, I don't take the show on the road like I used to. But I, I mean, unless it's summer break or something. But so really, they've, they've had to shoot in New York for me. Yeah, the, the company you keep is so key. I, I've been very, very fortunate. You, you mentioned before about working with some of the great directors. And I've, I've definitely had the great fortune of working with some of our greatest living directors today. I'd like to work with some more of them, but mostly I think what I haven't done in a long time, a beat I haven't played, is comedy. And I I do like to do lighter stuff. I mean, and my mom keeps telling me, will you just do something a bit lighter? You are funny, Naomi. Why won't you let the world know? And I guess that, that call just hasn't come for... The simple reason that I've done either this kind of genre or darker material drama, you know, for a long time. I definitely, I think the last one I really did was St. Vincent's with um, good old Bill, Bill Murray and Melissa McCarthy. So I really would like to remind people that I can do that genre, but yeah, just, but it also happens that it's not always as easy to get right, right? And so I, I read a lot of scripts like that in the early days, and nothing was grabbing me. And I think once you do, once you say no to too many, you know, of that kind, people start taking that as a message that you don't want to do it. But I, I, I got to change that narrative, I think. Well, I think people get, you know, like with anything, you get, you know, not pigeonhole, but people think of you and you are extraordinary in that, you know, in the darker drama. Like there's really you are one of the best and you have been recognized for such. So I get that. But it doesn't mean I I feel like I'm going to put it out there in the air and by this podcast, maybe we're going to, you know, just send it out there a comedy because you are funny and you are physical you could do a lot of physical comedy too yeah i'm definitely like physical that. that's that's definitely although you know not so much anymore i've got aches and pains all the time but i'm up for physical comedy for sure do you have anything on the horizon are you have you done filming anything like what's next after this is there stuff coming out i haven't filmed since the watcher but i'm about to start on another ryan murphy show in November about a very known story. <laughs> Truman Capote. Well, yes. I worked at Vanity Fair for 25 Correct. years. You know. <laughs> the swans. I was, oh, so can you just tell me who you play? And I'll pretend like I don't know and I'm hearing it for the first time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Babe Paley. Do you know that one? <laughs> I do. I have, a, I have the Avedon photo of her in my dining room. I do. I know her very oh, well. Oh, wow. Right. I know yeah. that picture well. Yeah, so I'm just um, getting immersed in, in it now. Gus Van Sant is directing. John Robbie Bates is writing with Ryan. And, I mean, it's delicious, juicy material of a very, you know, interesting time. And, again, an incredible cast of fantastic, legendary women coming together. Ryan really knows how to 
give jobs to women over 40, let me tell you. He's making that old rule just, you know, go away instantly. Thank goodness for people like him. Yeah, it is a uh, gold medal, uh, I would say, ensemble coming down the pike. I can't wait to watch it. All right. I always have a theme every season. And one, I'm, unfortunately, I didn't have you on when I did Fear. And my other one was about ambition. And this one is about we're also overwhelmed in life. There's so much going on in the world. So I'm looking for the small wins. What has been a small win for you lately? My kids' happiness is every day a concern. And so, and you know, what's that theory? You're only as happy as your unhappiest child. And, you know, if they're okay, I feel great. They don't have to be, you know, throwing their fists in the air going, oh, my God, this is an amazing day. I just getting them through this time has been um really not the easiest. And I'm I'm sure you agree, particularly teenagers, you know, they're at a time where they should be spreading their wings and they got them clipped. You know, they had to stay home and they suddenly not really well versed at at, um, socializing and, you know, feeling comfortable with other kids. It's, It's been a tough time. So seeing them out there in the world again, those are, those are, when they come home with happy faces or just a little bit of a smile or, you know, just a little bit of dialogue shared. Those are those are little tiny wins. <laughs> you know, if, as long as it's not yes, no answers, like when you get a little bit of detail, that's just, oh, that, that's so good. And, and the other day I noticed I went for a walk and my 15-year-old, I took his hand and he didn't pull it away. That just broke my heart. I, it just melted my heart because normally, you know, they're like, no, mom, that's not cool. It just felt good. Yeah. I, I would say any anything that has like four words in it, I say as a sentence is such a win for me. So a good cup of coffee and any kind of conversation I have with my children is those are wins, right? Any of it. It's awesome. All right. So my last question is, I'm coming over for dinner. You're going to throw a dinner party. Anybody living or dead, who are you going to have there? So when I walk in the door, who am I going to see? Michelle Obama. I just love her. Everything Mm -hmm. she says, everything she does, she's just good. I loved her book. I've heard her on, you know, interviews and things. And just I just really appreciate how honest she is and just speaks to you. You know, like you feel like she's really talking to you. It just feels so authentic. Well, Billy's there. You're going to love him. Have you met Billy? I love him. Oh, yeah. Yes, I there. have. Yeah. Okay. Rebecca's there. I'm going to invite her because you're there. And I know you love her. And she's my best friend in the whole wide world. Well, ah, shit. Now, I put Billy there, but I was going to say, let's make it a girl's dinner. Um, but Billy, he can, he's like, he's good with the girls, actually. I, I would say Nicole who you also know, Nicole Kidman, for your yeah. listeners. I would say grandma, because I would love, oh, I met your grandma, grandma once in Cannes. sure. She's amazing. She's legend. Do you know what? She's still alive. She And she can still tell a good story. COVID did a number on her because, you know, two years in complete isolation. You know, when you're that old, you, your, your mind starts to go a bit. But I saw her just before you know, the end of 2019. And she was telling stories. She'd had a little glass of wine. She was telling fantastic, you know, 10-minute long stories of of the old days, you know, and, and, and in a good storytelling way, like really sharp as, sharp as a tack, as we say. How old is she now? She's 97. Wow. 
I just remember that that house you showing pictures of the house and it's like chock a block of things and every little object had a story. Oh, she's great. She's great. All right, that's a pretty good dinner party. I'm excited. Are you vegan or are we eating all kinds of food? I'm not vegan, but I do like vegan food. I've got, I mean, different eaters in my house, so I, I sort of mix it up. I'm, I don't eat any red meat myself. I'll eat fish and chicken, so there'll probably be fish and chicken. I like to cook, actually. <laughs> Well, I'm sad that I don't get to see you in person. do miss seeing you always, but I love that I get to see you on screen and all the stuff that you do. Thank you for stopping by and making the time. Yeah, I know it's been a long day, but um, it was worth it. Yes. For both of us. Yes. Thanks for tuning in from London. I wish I was there with you. I know. It's been gorgeous here. I brought coats. Everyone said it was going to be cold. It's beautiful weather. I've had a flat white. I've, I've tried oh, yeah. all the British things. I've Yeah, we did with the National Portrait. It's great. It's been amazing. It's a magnificent city. I feel very privileged oh, to be I here. I love London. All right. Cheers. Bye. Bye, Krista. Bye. See ya. The Watcher is streaming now on Netflix. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Krista Smith, your host and creator of the show. Skip Intro is produced and edited by Isabel Arricchio and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to our coordinator, Alyssa Hillman. Please subscribe, rate, and review Skip Intro wherever you've been listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to NetflixQ.com for more. That's NetflixQueUE.com. 